with drag, I would put it in almost the same category as improvisation, partly because even though we kind of run through the songs, we know what songs we're doing, we try and get the wording down. When we're on stage, you never know what's going to happen. Um, so you got to kind of be prepared for what comes at you and just kind of roll with it. Like um, kind of in an improv scene where you get thrown something and you kind of have to roll with what you're given. Um, an example is I was performing at the cabin in Park City a few weeks ago and my shoe broke mid number and I just had to keep rolling with it. And I kind of, I had to find ways to remain, keep my balance. Cause now my, I was wobbling. I looked like a wounded gazelle for part of my number. Um, but there was like a railing. So I had to like grab hold of that and use that as a prop now to keep my balance while I keep the show going. The voice you just heard belongs to Austin Slade Perry. Hi, I'm Austin Slade Perry. I'm a local author and drag queen by the name of Sapphire Rose. Who met with me as my first guest back in studio in over a year. We talk about his drag persona, Sapphire Rose, crown princess of the royal court of the Golden Spike Empire here in Utah, and all the work that goes into a drag performance. Austin's also an author, so we get a chance to compare and contrast the storytelling and creativity of drag with writing. Listen through to the end of the episode to hear the episode extra, information about this month's elections for the next emperor and empress of the royal court. I'm your host, Liz Christensen, and it's all in the telling. Welcome to episode 68 with Austin Slade Perry. A couple of important announcements before we dive in. In the Telling is going on break for the whole summer. I'm starting a master's degree in English on June 1st, which I'm pretty excited for and a little bit nervous about. In the Telling will be back in September after I've gotten a solid grasp of my program. But I didn't want to leave you for such a long break without a lovely parting gift. This episode on drag isn't the only content I'm releasing right now. There is an incredible interview with couture wedding dress designer Betsy Barker, now available on my YouTube channel. Full video interviews are something I typically reserve solely for my Patreon patrons, but since we have to part for three months, and since Betsy's work is sumptuous to behold, I've put her Zoom interview and tour of her studio and sewing rooms on YouTube for everyone. Be sure to check out Utah's very own award-winning Betsy Couture. And now, Austin Slade Perry. Thank you for joining me on the show today. I am so excited to interview you. It's so nice to have someone back in my studio face-to-face. It is really nice to be doing this in-face interview stuff. So I'm ignorant, really ignorant, about drag. To start us off, will you give me kind of a basic definition of what drag means to you? Yes. So drag has been kind of perceived as, uh, for a while, as like someone just dressing up as the opposite gender in an elaborate form. Um, But it's all a form of performance art, and drag can be uh, done in different ways. I think drag is basically tearing down those gender roles and reconstructing it in an artistic performance way. An example, I have a friend, uh, her drag, their drag name is St. Argyle, and they do more of like an androgynous kind of drag, like it's uh, both male and female kind of combined. That's one of the things I specifically wanted to ask you, because I definitely think 
first thoughts, right, about drag, that it is a male-presenting person then dressing as a female-presenting person. And that if I, as a female-identifying person, were to uh, dress as a man, and not just masculinely, because I'm kind of a tomboy and I do that natively, but like really kind of go out of my way to look as much like a man as possible, I don't, I don't think I would have ever thought to call that drag. I think I would have thought to call it cross-dressing. So I was wondering if drag really goes all the different directions. Yeah, it does, actually, because there is actually a branch. So I'm a drag queen, but there are uh, performers out there who are drag kings, which is actually uh, female-presenting people who uh, dress up as male-presenting. Um, I have a few friends who do that. Um, one of them, their name is Devin Air. And they go all out. Like, they do makeup. They put on the fake beard and everything. Yeah, definitely. If I, if I was going to do that, I would definitely, like, go for the beard. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's... Beard makes the makes it everything. I kind of wonder on a, on a spectacle level as an entertainer designer, is there as much appetite for that kind of – for a drag king? Because now I'm thinking, okay, there's probably not fringe. There's probably not glitter. There's probably not sequins. There's probably not feathers. <laughs> Um, there is, uh, to an extent, uh, drag king can be pretty popular, like, among lesbians and stuff as well. Um, in fact, we used to have a lot more drag kings in Salt Lake City, um, back when there was, like, the paper moon around. Um, but after that kind of closed, the, the drag king scene has kind of dwindled down, but there are a few around, and when they're thrown into a show like they just liven it up like they're really great for like with doing like these comedy roles but also they get really elaborate with their costumes um i went i went and saw quorum of the queens and saw mads and can can a local drag king perform and they dressed up as the mask like that full yellow suit the green face everything it was amazing that sounds a, like a like an amalgamation of like cosplay, stand-up comedy, musical theater, and drag. Yeah, exactly, and that's kind of what it is. What it's like performing. It's like you get to venture into that cosplay-esque styling. Um, some of us will do numbers that are based off of a musical, so we want to try and create a look that resembles that, or a movie or TV show. So. I come from a theater background, so it's a little easier for me to kind of couch things in those terms. Yeah. Is it like, is a drag show fundamentally a variety show? In a way, yeah. Because um, you do have some uh, performers who will do a little bit more of a comedy ro performance. Usually, typically, it's mostly just like uh, songs that we lip sync to and dance to. But uh, some people will do like a solid, nice, uh, slow ballad. Other ones will do an upbeat dance number. Other ones will do more of a comedy routine. Uh, so there gets a nice variety of performances, but typically it's around like uh, performing to a song, but you can add edits to it. Is the way that I should describe that, would I say Austin is performing Sapphire? So it, when I'm out uh, performing, it's just as Sapphire. So whenever they announce me, it's just like, and next up we have Sapphire Rose. Um, so I would say I would say Sapphire is performing tonight. Correct. Okay. Um, I want to ask you about how you uh, frame this as an identity because I I get the sense that I don't want to say that you 
because it's not you performing Sapphire, because Sapphire's performing, that's not a character. So so it's an identity thing? It, it's an identity and a character. It kind of starts out as, um, in, in the terms of like writing, when you're creating that character, you kind of create kind of this framework, the aesthetic of them and what they are. Um, so in a way, it's like when you're getting into face, you're now stepping into that character and that character becomes the personality for that night. So when I put on a face and I go out, it's Sapphire who's going out. It's like I'm setting my character free. I like that you did improv as the example because it is reminding me of improv. It's also kind of reminding me of like live action role play a little bit. A little bit, yeah. Um, not as much as like improv but there is a little bit there um especially when like you get the MCs involved um it, especially like at the cabin you have don't you have like uh your host but they bring out the other performers and they're like going back and forth they kind of switch off hosting roles um so they have to respond off of each other I'm trying to figure out how to like tie this back into the role play thing because it's very much like improv, but there is a little bit of role playing, um, especially in the numbers when you kind of create the like, okay, I am performing this song. I want to create this look and try and tell this story. So you get that sense, but then you get thrown all the uh, different variables to make it into an improv. How would you differentiate if you were a writer of your life, <laughs> like <laughs> let's say that this was all Truman Show right, okay. and doesn't exist and you were like plotting it out behind the scenes as an author, how are Austin and Sapphire similar? How are Austin and Sapphire different? Um, so I think Austin and Sapphire are similar in the way that like we have kind of the same goals with uh, this drag career. Um, we started out with an organization called the Royal Court of the Golden Spike Empire, and they're a nonprofit organization. So the main starting goal when joining that organization was, well, let's, you know, help people with this. So that's kind of where the similarities are is like we have those similar goals. Big difference is um, whenever I'm out at a bar, just as Austin, I'm the shy person in the corner. I I have the worst social anxiety. Um, and so when Sapphire comes out, though, she is like mingling with the crowd. She's fine to walk around and let people look at her. People will come up and say hi to her and she'll like go into conversations. It's like a total shift. And I think it's because like I can hide behind that's all those like five pounds of makeup <laughs> and a uh, big wig and, and the big wig. Yep. So I would say that's kind of uh, where the difference is. It's like she's a little bit more outgoing, whereas Austin's a little bit more quiet and timid, um, unless I'm with my friends, in which case they see like Sapphire through and through. You said this is to help people, the, the nonprofit can you kind of dig into what kind of help it brings? Yeah, of course. So the Royal Court of the Golden Spike Empire is one of the oldest uh, nonprofit organizations here in Utah. And we're actually only a branch of an even bigger organization called the International Court System um, that stretches throughout the U.S. and into Canada and Mexico. Um, and what we do in our core is we raise money for different funds. So like we have our cancer fund, the AIDS fund, the trans fund, um, 
the scholarship fund, all these funds that people can actually apply for to receive financial assistance and aid. Um, like our, our cancer fund is, uh, if you know anyone in your family or you yourself who have been dealing with uh, cancer-related uh, stuff, we can help you with that. You can fill out an application and apply for uh, some money to help assist that. Uh, this last year, actually, when the pandemic hit, our uh, People's Concern Fund, which was founded by Empress Six. So Empress Six uh, founded this fund, and we're actually about to go into Reign 46. So we've been around for a long time. Um, but she founded this fund as the People's Concern Fund, and that's like people who lost are like out of work, um, have unforeseen medical expenses come up. Basically, it's difficult for them to pay their rent, phone bills, utilities. They can apply to the People's Concern Fund to help uh, pay for those necessities. As an author, you are you are crafting pretty carefully, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and are you a, are you a pantser or a planter? Or? Um, I'm more of a planner type person. I like to plan things like a good couple months in advance. Um, especially this year, I, I'm currently the crown princess for Rain 45. And um, we did a lot of events and that. And I kind of like planned my events well in advance just to make sure that I got everything done right. So talk to me about like the organization planning prep work that goes into Sapphire. So like putting Sapphire together or... Yeah, both on a... On a like a logistical wardrobe hair makeup level and like a identity character building kind of like who that is. Okay. So whenever I'm doing a show or an event or something and I'm getting into Sapphire, um, the first thing I do is I glue down my eyebrows. Glue, glue down your eyebrows. Yes. What does this mean? <laughs> it basically, I take a glue stick and I glue down my eyebrows, several layers of glue. Just for like the hairs to lay flat? Yep. Okay. Um, because and then I actually put some layer of powder over them as well, so that way they're like nice and concealed. Okay. Um, so we're just trying to get rid of eyebrows. Yeah, just getting rid of the eyebrows. Some people will actually shave them off, but I work in the public eye, so I, I don't really want to shave my eyebrows off. Fair. But um, and then it starts kind of the makeup process. But while I'm doing that, I like to have uh whatever music I'm going to be performing that night play. So that way I can be lip syncing to it as I'm getting into face. So I can kind of put myself in that mindset of what I'm going to be doing tonight. And then usually when that's done, I'll put like a movie or something on. Something that kind of uh, reflects my vibe or like my current mood. So okay. that way I'm not getting too far into Sapphire, but there's still that like nice little bridge. Okay. Um. Like sometimes I like to put on the nanny actually while I'm getting into drag because um Fran Fran Drescher yeah again? Fran the Drescher the nanny because <laughs> I I just love her look and vibe and so she gives me some great like inspiration for drag but also the show is just one of my all time favorites so there's kind of that like connection between Sapphire and uh, Austin right there. But with the process of getting drag, like like I said, it's almost five pounds of makeup that I'm putting on because we, I use the uh, TV TV sticks, like the really thick foundation stuff, oh, okay. and I layer that on. I do like my contouring with it as well, um, and then once that's all blended and powdered, then I do the eyebrows and eye makeup 
which with the uh, foundation you actually cover up the uh, the existing eyebrows. So it's just like all blank face. Or oh, this is a lot of work. So when we get to the end of it, I want you to tell me total how long you need to get ready, okay? All right. Um, and then, so with the eyes, that can kind of take a little while because they usually take the eyeliner and will like outline the, the shape of the wings and then do kind of a cut crease. And then I fill in with the eyeshadow. Um, and then after that, I do the powder contouring and then the lips and then the mascara, and then I have to set the face, which I actually use hairspray to set my face. Oh, like as a finisher? Yeah, it okay. kind of like helps to keep it so like it's not gonna be running too much. And then I will do my eyelashes, because uh, you don't wanna spray the eyelashes with the hairspray. That makes sense. <laughs> and then for getting into the actual body of Sapphire, some queens don't use a lot of shapers, I do because I have a kind of a specific like shape that I create for her. Some days I'll actually wear a full on steel bone corset. I was going to say she seems very curvaceous in the pictures I've seen. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, a corset doesn't surprise me because that is a hard look to achieve without some steel bone. <laughs> yeah, the corset is great and I use use it a lot. Um, I recently started using this other shaper that I found at Walmart um, just a little thing to kind of help give that similar shape, but allow me more mobility for like really upbeat numbers. Sure. Um, but there's about, I want to say three, three layers of tights that go on. Okay. Maybe more. Cause then there's also like around three shapers plus giant foam hips. Really? I didn't, I would not have guessed, but okay, because women's yeah. hips, we have just different shapes. There. Yeah, and like some, que like we carve our own hips, and it, like I said, it's more of a like over-exaggerated thing. Like you don't see a lot of women walking around with like giant hair all the time. Right, yeah, this is, um, I don't want to say a caricature, but you are pulling out physical aspects and enlarging them. Exactly, more of like a, because we're on stage, you want to be able to see everything. You carve so, your own hips. I have to yes. stop there for a second and just hone in on that because I, I, my husband, I have an interesting husband. He is like a, a MacGyver, but he's also an artist. And so he loves to carve foam with chainsaws. And so when you said carving your own hips, that's kind of what we do. Okay, really? Yeah. Just tell me a little bit more about that because so, that's interesting. So usually it's uh, we take like a, a a foam pad like from an old couch or something, and we'll first like draw the outline of the hip we want. Um, and I'm picturing people laying down like you did in elementary school on butcher paper and like outlining. So no, it's kind of like you make this like uh, this like upside down comma shape. Okay, okay. Because um, that so the way it works like the part where it like curves outward that's gonna go like over your butt, and then the part where it kind of goes like down that part's gonna go down the side of the leg. I'm so I'm so ignorant about this. I'm so glad you clarified about around like the butt because my brain was thinking of those um oh what's her name in the Georgian period, the French queen. Oh, um Marie Antoinette. Yes, I was thinking of it just in two dimensions apparently. Like they just came out from the side and I was like, "Oh right, no, they should they yeah, should it be does, 3D." It curves around. Some people actually carve a third piece to like go in the center of the butt to kind of Like kinda bustly kind of. Yeah, like really like bump it up. Um 
So to do that, you usually will use I when I did it my first time, I didn't have a turkey carver, which is what <laughs> most queens will actually use. So yeah, tiny chainsaw. Yeah, tiny chainsaw. I had to use like a a, a bread knife. Oh kind gosh. Of thing. And I was just like sitting there carving out the hip pads on the balcony. Got foam all over myself. <laughs> um, it was all, all over my favorite sweater too. So like for we for months afterwards, I was still like picking pieces of foam out of it. But um, basically, you kind of like you draw the outline, and then you just kind of like carve out off the big pieces, and then you kind of help shape and round it. And then on the inside, you have to kind of hollow it out a little bit to kind of sit on the hips. This sounds surprisingly comfortable then in use because you're it, basically sitting on surrounded by your own couch. Yeah, exactly. And it also makes for a great safety feature when you fall on stage. Oh, <laughs> Pratt falls are suddenly so much easier. Yep. Well, that's got to be counterbalanced by the fact that most of you wear heels, I would imagine. Yes, we do. Okay. There's a, Every now and then we do a number where we're not wearing heels. Um, example... I'm like name dropping all my favorite queens in Salt Lake City, but uh, my uh, one of my favorite queens, Kia Royale, she recently did a number to an edited version of uh, "It's All Coming Back to Me" by Celine Dion. But instead of it being like, um, oh, what was it? It's when you touch me like this. It goes when you beat me like this, and. She dressed up as like an old lady, like Sophia Patrolo kind of vibe. So she had on just like little slippers during oh. her number <laughs> and this white curly old lady wig. It was hilarious. Bath- bathrobe style too and everything. A muumuu actually. Oh, perfect. Yes. Like a bright pink muumuu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's that's the complete look. <laughs> yeah. It, it was fantastic. And uh, she did that because we just did the Golden Spike Awards, um, which is like a a community vote on award show. And a while back, because we were doing digital shows, we did a digital Moo Moo show, and I recorded her doing that number. She was voted one of the nominees for best best song of the year. So she had to redo that number on stage for people just recently. That's wonderful. Okay, I want to jump back into your process now that I understand hips a little better. All right. So we put on foam hips. We put on the foam hips. So that's the first thing I... To put the foam hips on, and I have like a pair of tights that go over that, and then a shaper that's supposed to like hold the hips up. Okay. Because sometimes they like to slide down. Sure. Yeah. But this like holds them in place, and then on top of that, I have like uh, some dancer tights that I'll put on. Okay. Normally I do like three, but one of them broke right now, so I'm just down to two. I need to order some more. <laughs> but you wiggle those ones up, and then you. I'll usually put on like another shaper. And if I'm wearing the corset, I'll have one shaper on and then I'll put the corset actually over that shaper. Um, that way it doesn't like dig too much into my skin. That sounds smart. And then uh, put another shaper actually over the corset to kind of smooth down the button. Sometimes two shapers just to smooth that down. This has got to be really warm. <laughs> it, it is. So I recently got a breastplate too, which I don't wear very often, but it basically is like this crop top thing. And if I wear that, I have to actually put it on before I even start painting my face. So I have to get into my whole body oh, before painting. Yeah, it'll smear yeah. everything up, right? Okay, you said breastplate and I, I know armored combat people. So my brain was like, it's not steel. It's not whatever. No, it's, it's an actual like breastplate. Like chest. Yeah. Yeah, and... and I mean, like, like so just mid 
mid. It comes to about <laughs> like yeah, about mid rib area. Is it turtlenecky? What's the top it, of that it, like? So when you first get it, it is turtlenecky up here because you have to cut it down to like where you want it. So mine's cut down to right here along like the collarbone. Okay. Um, and then I wear like a necklace to kind of hide the seam. I was gonna say, yeah. How does that not look like a like a flap? Yeah, you have to wear jewelry to hide the seam, and with these ones, you have to wear something where it's like straps will also hide like the shoulder seams. Got it. But whenever I wear that, uh, the end of the night, getting it off is like the best feeling ever because <laughs> it is just pools of sweat underneath it, and I actually will like pull it and uh, to get off, and I just hear this loud like pop sound. <laughs> is it like unsuctions it, from you? <laughs> exactly. Um, and I don't wear it very often, though, because of that. But there are certain looks that, like, okay, I have to wear the breastplate for this. Kind of like low-cut costumes? Yeah, very, and... anything that's, like, very low-cut, low-plunge. Um, or I just recently got a bra from my work that's, a, like, a rhinestone chain mail. Oh, wow. But it's it couldn't work for, like, my normal – because normally what I wear is, like, a bra with, like, some foam uh, boobs in that. And yeah, just then, like stuffing. Yeah, and then just push up my natural fat. Um, and then I also contour my chest. Makeup. Too. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah. Depending on if I'm wearing something that's a little bit low cut or if I'm wearing something that's a high collar, then I'm not going to worry about doing makeup on my chest. Yeah, yeah. It's just a waste of time. But um, that makes sense. I'm, I'm guessing, of course, then that the chest plate either has sufficient shaping that you don't have to make up it or it's already like kind of yeah, part of the aesthetic. It's already part of the aesthetic. Uh, every now and then, like, I do have to apply a little bit of makeup, like in the in the cleavage, just to kind of help it show a bit more. But for the most part, I don't have to do a lot to that. But with the bra that I bought from work, that's like the rhinestone chainmail. I kind of have to wear the breastplate with it because of the shape of the bra. Sure, it wouldn't work for the other fake tits. Um, it makes me laugh every time you mention the rhinestone. Uh, chainmail bra just because that is the opposite of the couch hips in my brain in yeah. terms of comfort. It, it is not. I So I bought it. I buy a lot of my drag stuff from my work actually um, but this one it actually uh, chafed underneath my arm so that night I went to take it off and my friends even looked down they're like um does that hurt and I looked down and there's this giant red mark oh. but it it was a popular look. A lot of people digged it. So it's going to keep coming out. Eventually, it'll just stretch out and not, like, chafe as much. But What is the last thing that you put on that, like, now I'm ready? So the last thing is always the wig for me. Okay. Because, um, like, I'll put on the dress and the shoes. Like, I'll get all that going. Um, but it's the moment that wig comes on. It just kind of completes the look. Are you doing a wig cap? Are you pin curling? I don't do wig caps very often. I've done them a few times. For the most part, my hair is long enough that I can actually, most wigs have like a little like row of uh, like combs. combs or whatever in it. So you can actually, I stick that like right into my hair. So it helps hold it there. Um, but then I'll also use a little bit of glue underneath the lace uh, just all the way along. So I'll do, I'll mainly get like the sides of my head and the center of my forehead with the wig. And then if that's not holding, then I'll do like the in-between spaces. So how long does this take? <laughs> so the fastest that I can actually uh, throw on a face, just the face part, not including the body and uh, dressing, is about an hour and a half. Wow. 
Yeah. I'm slowly getting that faster. Um, I was getting really fast uh, earlier this year, and then I learned, like, some new techniques. So I had to kind of relearn some stuff. So as I learn stuff, I have to take more time to get ready. But as I get it down, then I eventually can whip out a face pretty quick. Yeah, like two steps forward, one step back kind of a thing. It eventually works out for your process. Exactly. And I mean, sometimes the fastest, the faster faces I do turn out looking better than my like more time faces. That's interesting. Why is that? Do you think? I think it's because uh, when you have more time, you kind of second guess your choices. Like with your eyebrows, you're like, oh, I guess I could make this better. Oh, I just went too far on it. When you're fast, you kind of have to go with what you got and you start to make better decisions right off the bat because you're like, go, 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 go. That, I feel like, <laughs> that resonates with every creative endeavor I do. <laughs> that little tidbit of just, like, sometimes deadlines make better decisions out of me. Yeah, and some, like, uh, with writing, too, like, when you have those deadlines and you're just like, oh, got it, go, 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 you're You're no longer second-guessing your plot or the characters or that. You are just like, throw them out. How long do you need pre-show to do the total? Um, total, I would say about, like, Two hours, it's a good amount of time for me. Like, get into everything I need. As that also includes, like, driving to the venue. I usually do stuff that's pretty close by. I think the farthest I've gone is, like, Provo and Park City. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. Most, mostly it's a Salt Lake Valley kind of thing. Yeah, that's kind of where, I, where we hang out. That's where a lot of the venues are for us to be performing. Is that kind of a, a small, tight-knit community? Everyone says, like, the theater community, everyone knows everyone, right? Is that similar? It, it is, uh, in a way. Um, I think we have, like, new drag queens always kind of emerging in that. So, like, I'm friends with a lot of drag queens on Facebook, and I'm like, I haven't really met most of you in person yet. But, like, we see what each of us has going on, Um kind of up to date and we've become like uh, online friends and community essentially all of the stuff you're using has to come off <laughs> and get cleaned too and and it sounds like you're using stuff that you can't just throw in the wash machine so. no you can't um so with a lot of stuff you kind of some of the stuff is like a spray and a wash uh shapers i can easily throw in the washer with some tights um but there are other pieces that I actually have to wash by hand. Yeah, so so coming down off of a performance or a night, like what how long does it take you to put everything away and get so, cleaned up? So I norm we don't normally like this is gonna be a kind of a gross thing about us, but we don't always like wash our drag like immediately after we get out of it. It's kinda of like after a couple times, all right, now we're gonna wash it. This is for anyone who's grossed out by that, this is how the performing arts work. Yeah. <laughs> there are certain costumes that you just can't clean every time. So some days like if I get home from a show and I really, really have to go to the bathroom, because underneath all those layers, you can't really go. No, yeah. I mean, if you're wearing three layers of tights plus hips, like, this is a process. Yeah, it is. So if I really have to go, like, I will, the moment that door opens, I am, like, peeling stuff off as quickly as I can. Other times, I just kind of, like, casually walk into my apartment and just, like, a trail of things will lead to the bedroom. <laughs> the hardest thing to get off usually is the corset. Sure. Because even though, like, getting into it, I finally learned how to get into it by myself. <laughs> a feat it, unto itself. 
well, I have so I have a four post bed. Oh. So what I'll do is I will like buckle myself into it. I love <laughs> just I love saying buckle myself into it. I'm going for a ride. Um, <laughs> but basically, I take the loops and I will stick them on one of the posts on the bed, and I will just lean forward, and it will tighten itself up. <laughs> This is a good hack. I like this. It is. But uh, getting that off then is like, because it tightens up pretty well, you have to reach up behind your back a lot and try and loosen up those straps. Yeah, you can't just unbuckle. Yeah, you can't. You have to get it loosened up to the point where you can unbuckle. And then it's the peeling off everything. My favorite part is uh, the last layer with the hip pads. Because when I peel off those uh, tights, the hip pads just kind of open up like a flower and just fall. And we're done. It's like the satisfying feeling when you hear when those things just hit the floor. <laughs> I the, want to know specifically what you use for makeup remover. So it sometimes I will use the makeup wipe removers, but it's not like a one cloth and done. I usually will go through a good handful of them to try and get everything off, um, especially the glue on the eyebrows. Yeah. Before I... Uh, found the the makeup wipe removers too um because i didn't know which ones to really get someone had to show me i was using the old trick of a washcloth and dawn dish soap oh gosh um which is actually pretty refreshing it wasn't too bad really yeah I guess, well yeah i guess they market themselves as the ones that clean up baby ducks from oil spills yeah the only thing that sucks is if it gets in your eyes but yeah that's kind of any situation <laughs> but usually what i'll do is i'll to kind of help break things up i'll take like a hot a rag and run under like some warm water in that and just like throw it over my face kind of pat down and pull off and look at my piece of artwork and then I'll apply some Dawn dish soap and help kind of scrub everything off. What kind of creative impulse does this satisfy that's different than what, like, writing does for you? I think with drag, it's that, like, stepping into a scenario. It kind of uh, – so in high school, I also did theater and that. So it kind of brings back that a little bit of a theater high that I would get, like stepping into a character almost. So that's really what it does for me is, like, just creating this character, getting to, like, take her out and see what she does, and then performing and seeing everyone, like, get so excited when I come on stage and hearing them, like – cheer and get hyped up um, is just rewarding of in itself. I mean, the tip money is nice too, but that's also part of like seeing the the excitement on their faces when we come out and do these shows. Talk to me a little bit about your writing and, and introduce uh, Austin, the author, to us. So I have always been in love with writing ever since I was younger. I was told like I have a very active imagination. So I was like, well, let me incorporate that and try doing writing. Um, And in the past uh, few years, I have uh, kind of evolved that into I write uh, gay romance fiction, but it's not primarily romance. I like to tie that into other genres. Um, Example, recently I had my first short story published in Collective Darkness and it features an openly gay character, but it is a horror story, but there is that like sense of romance in there as well. Like it wasn't the main focus, but it was there. It kind of gave a little bit more like motivation for the character um, 
and like wanting to like let's get out of here, let's escape. Yeah, you know? I, I liked I liked that. That the one uh, I'm not gonna remember their names because I read it a couple months ago. Oh, you're fine. But um, I like that the one was was like, hey, we should protect you by leaving, <laughs> right? Oh, I care yeah. about you, so let's go. Yes, that uh, when I wrote that scene, it was a little heart warming to me. I'm like, oh, it's so cute, so yeah. adorable. It was, it was a like this is a. These people are good for each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, listen to him, please, because <laughs> this is a horror anthology I just bought, and so I feel like you're not going to listen, and this isn't going to go well. We always have to have those characters who, you know, follow horror movie logic of, oh, it's danger. Well, let's just stay. I'm sure it will be fine when we wake up in the morning. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I keep going about writing. Um, uh, before Collective Darkness, actually, I was in a really dark place uh, mentally. And so my friend, uh, Elizabeth Suggs, she's the one who invited me to join the Collective Darkness anthology and kind of helped re, uh, revitalize that passion for writing that I had. And it's definitely helped out a lot. And now I'm working on projects for upcoming anthologies as well. Um, we're going to be doing a re-release of Collective Darkness next September with a uh, we had like little darkness with that one. Now we are going to have the darkness between, which is going to be another like mini flash fiction anthology, which I wrote a story for that one called uh, little red, which is kind of a, a modern dark retelling of little red riding hood. Um, and then I'm also working on stuff for the uh, romance anthology that's coming out uh, so a lot of stuff is in the works, um, but I think after uh, these next few anthologies, I'm going to kind of take a break from short stories and focus on like my bigger novels um, that have kind of had to take a seat on the back burner. I think the next uh, one I need to get working on is uh, Collective Humanity, which is an anthology which I'm very excited about because it kind of combines like my writing, the writing community with the drag community in a way. Um, this is an LGBT anthology that the proceeds are actually being donated to the Royal Court to help be distributed among like the different funds that we have. So all of it is LGBTQ themed, uh, with the main theme being metamorphosis, transformation, growth, renewal, rebirth, all that sort of stuff. And just for anybody who's listening um, and is excited about that, that is still in uh, the production phase. or It's, it's not available yet. Correct. It is still in production. Uh, they are starting up a Kickstarter for it as well. I just haven't received the link yet to the Kickstarter. I think they're still in developing of that. Uh, but we are still accepting submissions for it as well. Um, and with that one, there is a $5 submission because this is all self-published. Like We pay for the printing and the publication and that. So the, the submission fee helps to pay for the printing and distribution of this book. So that way we can make sure that more money is going towards the charities. What brought you to drag? So it's actually kind of funny. I When I first came out as gay, I never thought that I would ever do drag. I admired the performance art aspect of it, but I just like, I don't know if it's really my thing. And then I had a friend. He moved here from England and like we became close friends. And he kept kind of hinting at like, maybe you should consider doing this. And then my uncle found out that I was gay and he had watched like Ru RuPaul's Drag Race and that. And he was like, 
I really want you to do drag. I think it would be amazing to see you do it. So after having him and my friend kind of pressured me, I went, okay, why not just give this a try and go for it? So I made a post on Facebook and some friends hit me up and they introduced me to the Royal Court because they do a pageant every year called Closet Ball where it's someone who has never done drag before. Uh, they find a sponsor and what they do is they'll parade out on stage as their preferred gender or identity and then they have one hour to be transformed into their drag persona. Oh, and now I'm stressed because I know how long <laughs> you so, take normally. So that's that's fast. Yeah. So usually you get – and the thing is like you're not painting yourself. You have The some, team comes in. <laughs> one person is like there to paint you and that. So you have one hour. Um, the way we did it was like uh, they painted my face, but at the same time they did that. Whenever they took a little break, I quickly threw on like another layer of something. So I didn't have, like, as much on as I normally would. Like, I didn't have the hip pads at the time. Uh, yeah, the art we, the art evolves, right? Yeah. yeah. We, at that time, I hadn't, like, created my first set of hip pads or even gotten them. So, because now you can actually get hip pads as a short. You don't have to carve them. <laughs> but uh, I just haven't gotten a pair of those yet. But they are a really nice investment for that I've heard. I just haven't gone around to it. But, um... We just had kind of a looser fitting dress then. And with that, I, me and the other contestant actually tied. It was the first time ever in uh, Claws Ball history. So we were both crowned. And it was in that year um, that it sort of evolved. I wasn't sure, like, oh, is Sapphire going to be last after she steps down? What's going to happen? And then she stepped down and I went, you know what? This is really fun. I've met a lot of great people. I've made so many good friends. You know, let's just keep rolling with it. Like, this has been fun. And then I uh, did another pageant. I ran for Queen of Hearts, not this last February, but the February before. And I won that, but I had to actually uh, resign from that title when I was asked to step up as Crown Princess. So with the organization, uh, you have your top six people. Uh, you have a reigning emperor and empress who actually run for the seat, and then they pick like their uh, their candidates. Um, and last year, when we uh, did campaigning, uh, the person running for empress uh, wasn't able to uh, take on the title. Um, so they had a regent come in and they asked me like a few days before uh, the virtual coronation would happen, say, hey, could you be my crown princess? And I went, well, I'm going to have to think about it. And he's like, OK, well, you only have this much time to think <laughs> about it. So I like called my boss and my mom and a close friend of mine to kind of get their opinions on it and went for it. Because this is this isn't just like a fun title. This is a responsibility. Oh, yeah. yeah. So as Crown Princess, um, one of my duties was basically raise money for the Felicia Young Adult Fund, which is a fund that uh, goes to that people can uh, come to the court for uh, different organizations to basically help the youth, like anyone under the age of 21. So like use it to get school supplies or uh clothing or to like help uh, the youth get back up on their feet, that sort of thing. I really like the idea of this closet ball because it just sounds utterly supportive, not just of the, the journey or the, uh, the coming out, right? Yeah. Um, but 
as an artistic attempt <laughs> to try something that is a performance and a visual art at the same time for the first time, but kind of under the guidance and support and community pageantry and presentation of people who are like, yeah, we understand what you're getting into and how difficult it can be. And so we'll we'll help you get started. Yeah. And that's exactly how it is. Uh, when I got started, I just had like my two friends to help guide me. Now I have like a whole slew of friends who like will give me advice, be there to support me, just help in any way they can. Um, when we did CP ball recently, which was kind of like my quote unquote step down, um, I was just blown away by the amount of uh, people who came out and like were supportive and who stepped up to help me actually put this thing together. It was uh, so amazing because like usually with pageants, your step down is uh, coinciding with like the next year's pageant. So like the pageant chair is one who kind of plans all that. When it comes to the CP ball, like you're planning your own step down stuff and everything. And step down, this is like you're turning over a crown princess to someone else. Um, not quite yet. So the reason I said like quote unquote is um, yes, it's like a, it's more of like a celebration of everything that like the CPs have accomplished throughout the year. Um, but then we still are reigning technically until coronation weekend, which will be uh this month actually. That's nice. I am. Um... I, I I don't want to have this be the analogy, but it's all I can think about. So like presidential transitions, for example, in our country, um, there isn't really a like celebration of the person on the way out because the inauguration is the big deal, right? Yeah. And I, I like that we have a tradition of just going forward politically. I think that that's good for us, right? To celebrate yeah. the new person coming in. But if we look at like graduations and things like that, it's really satisfying to have like a capstone experience where you are celebrated for completing the thing that you did. And so separating that, you get to celebrate that person who's wrapping up and you get to celebrate the person who's also starting. Exactly. Which is why coronation is one of our biggest events of the year. It is um, essentially celebrating everything that the past reign has done, allowing them like a final walk, like acknowledging them like they have now entered the College of Monarchs. Um, and then at coronation, we crown the next uh, emperor and empress. You guys have great titles. <laughs> Every everything about this uh, this structure is just like wow. That is that name choice is on point. It, the way I describe it is like uh, living in a fan. It felt like a fantasy world when I first stepped into it. I'm like, oh my gosh, you have an emperor and empress and princes and princesses and stuff. And then I stepped up to crown princess, and I'm like, okay, it is a fantasy, but is it like Game of Thrones up in here? <laughs> Anything that you want to leave with us as like a word of encouragement for people pursuing their creative interests? Just go for it. Like if you have always been interested in trying a new creative endeavor, you never know if it's going to work for you or not unless you just go for it. Like watch those tutorial videos and just give it a try and see how you feel with it. That's how it was with drag was just give it a try, see how it is, you know just experiment and now it's evolved into this whole art form thing kind of like with writing like I never expected to be where I am today with it until I actually tried it in high school and was like well let's just start writing stuff and see what happens 
Austin, thank you so much for meeting me in studio and letting me interview you today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Of course. Uh, can I say one more thing? Absolutely. So Coronation Weekend is going to be uh, Memorial Day weekend. It's going to be from May 27th to the 30th, or no, 31st. And then we're also going to be doing voting for our candidates. We have two lovely people running for the monarch seats. And voting is going to be on uh, May 22nd at the Pride Center in Salt Lake City. If um, I'll make sure that I get for, from you links to this stuff so that if people want to participate, if they want to watch, if they want Absolutely. to vote, any of that, it'll all be in the show notes. It'll all be on the blog post. So. Yeah. Don't stress about trying to Google all this. I'll make sure I get those links to you. Yeah, the links will be there. And uh, yeah, come out and vote. We have two amazing candidates. Uh, for Emperor, we right now have Devin Ayer actually running for Emperor and Kier Royale running for Empress. So come out and vote for them and help grow our community. Thank you so much, Austin. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you to my guest, Austin Slade-Perry. Keep in the telling commercial-free and get exclusive access to full interviews on Patreon. You can help more people find in the telling by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Find out more at lizzylizzyliz.com. Subscribe to the Liz Christensen YouTube channel for bonus content. Theme music by Gordon Vitas. In the Telling is hosted and produced by me, Liz Christensen. Thank you for listening and have a lovely summer.